Coming up next on Twitch, this week in computer hardware, five GPUs in one box. It's about making more Bitcoin faster and great big electric bills. New MacBook Air specs scoring a Core i5T, a $400 Lano upgrade, or stick with the Core 2 Duo you already got in the amazing giant Star Wars touchscreen game that we want so badly. All coming up next on Twitch. Netcasts you love. From people you trust. This is Twitch. Bandwidth for Twitch is provided by Cashfly at C A C H E F L Y dot com. This is Twitch, This Week in Computer Hardware, episode 128, recorded July 14th, 2011. Making money off your GPU, faster Bitcoin. This episode of This Week in Computer Hardware is brought to you by Netflix. Watch thousands of TV episodes and movies on your PC, Mac, iPad, iPhone, or TV instantly. All streamed directly to you, saving you time, money, and hassle. For your free 30-day trial, go to netflix.com slash twit. And by squarespace.com, the fast and easy way to create a high-quality website or blog. For a free trial and 10% off your new account for six months, go to squarespace.com and use offer code TWITCH7. Welcome to Twitch This Week in Computer Hardware. Twitch weekly adventure in all you need to know about what's coming up in computers, well, and hardware. We're pretty pretty solid on that. I'm Patrick Norton, joined as <laughs> always by the, uh, the man, the myth, and this week, the Portland legend, Mr. Ryan Trout. Uh-oh, we've lost him. Are you there, Ryan? Did we? I oh, am. There you are. <laughs> that was poor timing on the internet connection's fault, is it not? <laughs> but it's editable. Where's the little thing that pops up and says edit here? We should... Uh, <laughs> Here you were actually uh, you were actually on a Novatel Wireless MiFi 4510L because which is a 4G LTE connection from Verizon because the the are, wait are you, you're on the Samsung not the uh, not the Novatel I, I am on the Samsung Excuse model on the Verizon on the 4G yeah so it, it's interesting you are buried in a hotel with like a 300 kilobit connection which uh, does not work particularly well for Skype if you like video smaller unless you like video that's like smaller than a a, a postage stamp. Small or pixelated Minecraft <laughs> video. Exactly. So the uh, well, actually, we should probably start. You you guys had a big week at PC Per this week. I thought things were exciting at Techzilla because we actually dissected a Samsung 8000 that got damaged in transit. Went through it layer by layer. You know, going over the glass, the main boards, looking at the different filters. And then I get forwarded a slash started article, Bitcoin currency and GPU mining performance comparison from PCPer.com. How does it feel uh, as an agent, uh, you know, <laughs> of, of communism and doom destabilizing currencies by attempting to create a shiftless cyber currency? Uh, I, I mock, but mostly you're using this actually to test GPUs, not to... Not to yeah. uh, create but well, should we even should we start with the bitcoin or should we start with the benchmarks let's start with the benchmarks let well i i think it's actually for people who don't know what a bitcoin is we should probably talk about what a bitcoin is first we actually have a little video queued up we use it to uh, evaluate graphics card performance but i think it actually can be we'll put a little context in the discussion first by having a bitcoin created video explain exactly what a bitcoin is what is bitcoin Bitcoin is the first decentralized digital currency. Bitcoins are digital coins you can send through the internet. Compared to other alternatives, Bitcoins have a number of advantages. 
Bitcoins are transferred directly from person to person via the net, without going through a bank or clearinghouse. This means that the fees are much lower, you can use them in every country, your account cannot be frozen, and there are no prerequisites or arbitrary limits. Let's look at how it works. Bitcoins are generated all over the internet by anybody running a free application called a Bitcoin miner. Mining requires a certain amount of work for each block of coins. This amount is automatically adjusted by the network such that Bitcoins are always created at a predictable and limited rate. Your Bitcoins are stored in your digital wallet, which might look familiar if you use online banking. When you transfer Bitcoins, an electronic signature is added. After a few minutes, the transaction is verified by a miner and permanently and anonymously stored in the network. The Bitcoin software is completely open source and anybody can review the code. Bitcoin is changing finance the same way the web changed publishing. When everyone has access to a global market, great ideas flourish. Let's look at some examples of how Bitcoins are already used today. You can purchase video games, gifts, books, servers, and alpaca socks. Several currency exchanges exist where you can trade your bitcoins for dollars, euros, and more. Bitcoins are a great way for small businesses and freelancers to get noticed. It doesn't cost anything to start accepting them, there are no chargebacks or fees, and you'll get additional business from the bitcoin economy. For your first bitcoins and more information, visit weusecoins.com. So that even with all that trendy music, I think it worked pretty well. And I think that video would be able to explain kind of the general overview, uh, the political and financial reasoning to have this type of currency. It's obviously still in its infancy. I think what's important there through that video was that what we're going to focus on is that whole thing of uh, Bitcoin mining. Right. And if you watch the video version, you saw it looked like a computer. And uh, on the screen was the animation of, of, a, of a pickaxe kind of hacking through some rock to find a coin. And it's a very good analogy of what Bitcoin mining is. It is your computer being able to compute uh, through these SH. SHA-256 uh, encryption keys to the point where you can find a Bitcoin. And as I mentioned in the video, uh, the rate at which these coins are found is predetermined. So all you can really do is affect how, uh, how likely you are to find the Bitcoin of the hour, of the Bitcoin of the minute, that type of thing. Mm -hmm. um, but what it has grown into and something that I wasn't even really aware of until some of the people who, who, who write for us kind of brought it up and said, hey, look at this stuff, it's pretty cool, is that there's a whole underground market for people who Bitcoin mine on their computers with the sole purpose of making money off of the process. So you know about right. folding at home and you know about uh, uh, like SETI at home and these other types of distributed computing thing where you, uh, where you use the spare processing cycles of your computer to for some other purpose, right? So in this case, what you're using spare processing cycles for is to, uh, the theory is to help you find money. So uh, a Bitcoin <laughs> actually has value. Uh, as of today, I think it actually goes for about $13.50 US currency. So you could, if you find a Bitcoin, you can trade it in for that amount of money. So it's interesting. Um, before we get into the benchmarks, I mean, Patrick, did you have any experience with Bitcoins up to this point? Is this relatively new to you? 
You know, it's it's something that popped up in the radar a couple of months ago when we had some actually some questions on Texella about it, and it's also been funny because it's, uh, you know, there's been U.S. senators who apparently uh, don't have things to do like oh, come up with a budget. <laughs> uh, we're we're rallying against Bitcoin and stopping it in its infancy, and uh, it's it's kind of reminds me a lot of uh, Cryptonomicon, which was a uh, science fiction book by Neil Stevenson where they create a secure non-government-based currency, a stable currency mm. that's not based on any government uh, is one of the sort of the, the, the big themes in the book. Um, so there's some really, there's, there's, there's just like, you could, you could probably get a college degree uh, <laughs> back between the math uh, behind Bitcoin and the potential economic impact. I like in the little video where it's like, you know, we do for money what the internet did for publishing, which is like destabilize an entire industry and, and <laughs> pirate stuff. They're um, very proud of that. <laughs> the, yeah. But what's really interesting is essentially you are discovering math. Um, mm -hmm. You know, or, and and you know, certain GPUs can discover little useful monetizable bits of math faster than others, which makes it a really interesting benchmark. So it does. Um, and, and what's interesting is at the infancy of bitcoins, standard processors were actually very good, and you could find bitcoins. Uh, you could do these encryption algorithms. But over time, as that video said, the difficulty in finding these Bitcoins is increased so that there's, no, there's not a flood of Bitcoins coming into the market. There is a predictable amount of introduction of this, uh, <laughs> mon uh, of this currency into the market. It's predictable until somebody figures out a better algorithm or a shortcut or a hack or, or, or you know what I mean? Like, like somewhere there's a math. Temporarily. There's a bunch of math majors at MIT that are sitting in a corner trying to figure out how to hack Bitcoin. You know Probably. it, man. <laughs> oh, oh, absolutely there are. Um, so the, what, what has what, – what has become of all this is this kind of underground market. It's not really underground. They're not really hiding anything. They're not doing anything illegal. They are actually going through the whole process of Bitcoin. Uh, you know, they're, they're helping uh, the currency evolve is this mining process. And people are buying graphics cards with the sole purpose to mine Bitcoins and then either spend those Bitcoins on items at certain online retailers that use them, none of the mainstream ones as you would think of, or to just sell them in the market for, you know, like I said, $13 or $14 or $15 a Bitcoin. Um, so, you know, not getting into the philosophical or uh, political issues that might come up with Bitcoins, we wanted to look at performance of Bitcoin mining. We, we took a look at a whole bunch of GPUs in this article, anything from the GTX, the GeForce GTX 285 through the brand new GeForce GTX 590, and then the Radeon HD 4890 all the way up through the Radeon HD 6990. Mm -hmm. So a, a wide range of cards going anywhere from $115 up to $750. And then we took some really out of the park or out of the, out of the standard fare of, of um, mining hardware. We looked at the AMD APU and we looked at a system we called the Beast, which actually had five <laughs> AMD Radeon GPUs in it worth about $1,700. Um, so there's, there's a ton of data and information in this article. And if you are interested in this type of stuff, I definitely recommend you go to PCPro.com and look up this article. There's no way we're going to be able to convey all of this in the format of a, of a 50 minute to one hour show that we have here. Um, but the, the kind of general consensus that we came up with, there's two interesting points. Uh, one is that the NVIDIA graphics cards do very poorly in this test. Yeah. They are consistently behind the AMD Radeon line of cards. And that explains why if you look in these Bitcoin mining forums, people are rabid about finding 
you know, special deals on AMD Radeon HD 5000 and 6000 series of cards. If there are rebates on things, they're, they're eager to buy these up. Uh, if you look at our benchmarks, the, the metric is mega hashes per second. And that's how many key hashes per second a, a, a processor or a GPU can actually handle. And the, the Radeon HD 4890, which is you know, several generations or at least a couple of generations old, actually outperforms most hmm. of the NVIDIA cards except for the GTX 580 and the GTX 590. And then if you look at some of the other cards like the Radeon HD 6990, I mean, we're talking you know, four or five times the performance of the best NVIDIA option out there for this. And then um, we actually, if you go to the beast section, we have a whole page on that. We look at that. And we look at metrics like performance per dollar, how much Bitcoin mining performance you get for every dollar you spend on a graphics card, how much performance per watt you get out of a particular graphics card, how long it takes you to pay off that video card, if the exchange rates and that kind of stuff would all remain the same. So there's all kinds of different metrics if you're interested in it, but obviously the most important one is just raw performance. Well, I, raw performance, and I think when you talk about a, when you talk about building a machine with five GPUs inside of it, I think it's a <laughs> wonderful segue to Bitcoin mining update power usage across the United States. Um, yes. Because Bitcoin mining, it, it's not just the cost of the cards, but the cost of running like 300, you know, 500 watts worth of cards in a single machine. Um, right. That, that, could, that could start to get expensive, depending on what part of the country you're in. When we posted the first article three or four days ago, the, the, we got several questions and, and lots of comments throughout the internet about, hey, you didn't really take into account how much the electric costs to run these. And I was like, yeah, okay, that's fair. But my reasoning at the time was uh, there's 50 different states and there's so, such a variance in what the cost is. So we finally went through, we got the average retail price rates for electric uh, across all 50 states. First of all, if you didn't notice this, Hawaii is about twice as much as the next highest state. Mm-hmm. Uh, so don't think about this if you're in Hawaii. Uh, but what's interesting is if we go to that five GPU beast that you mentioned, mm-hmm. it can take as much as, uh, it can cost as much as $1,477 per year to power that, to just provide the electricity. <laughs> to that system. Now, that's if you are in the more expensive groups of, uh, of states. Uh, right. California is included in that, and most of the northeast of the country is included in that, like uh, Connecticut, New York, New Jersey, New Hampshire, Rhode Island. All those states have very expensive electrical rates. Um, and then that $1,477 can be as low as, you know, like $770. So about half the price if you live in states like North Dakota, Idaho, Arkansas, Nebraska, Kentucky is in there. <laughs> West Virginia. These are all states with much lower power rates. So I need to so find actually, a colo location that allows me to put my own server boxes in Idaho or some other nearby yep. state. <laughs> that is absolutely right. If you're going to build a Bitcoin mining farm, the state to do it in is North Dakota. Really? There you go. I mean, if, that, if, you're, if you're maximizing profit there, I mean, that's, that's pretty substantial. And what's, what's interesting is you know, one of the metrics we looked at in the previous article was, what is your potential one-year profit if you subtract the cost of the graphics card? So if you buy a card with the sole intention of mining with it and trying to sell those Bitcoins for money, um, you know, the, the, radio, the most popular video card in this community is the Radeon HD 5830. It sells for anywhere from $99 to $129, depending on what the sale or rebate value is. That had the potential to earn you $538 a year 
before we took into account the electrical costs. Once you take into account electrical costs, that profit goes down to $369, down to $213, depending on where you live. Huh. So it, it's very substantial. You know, at first I was kind of like, ah, electric, whatever. We're not really going to worry a whole, lot, a whole lot about that. But it can be very, very expensive if you live in the state of California. For example, the the Beast machine had the potential to earn you $3,600 in profit over the course of a year after paying for the $1,700 in graphics cards, which is pretty cool because right. you can pay off the cards, you make a little money, and hey, you've got these video cards if you want to game on them and stuff, right? Well, now all of a sudden you're paying $1,500 for electric to power that system uh, for 365 <laughs> days a year, and you're taking a much bigger risk. That system pulled over a thousand watts steady, a thousand sixty-seven watts from the wall uh, when when that system was 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 mining for Bitcoin. So it's 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 it was only worth that in It's information that was a little bit difficult to to get a hold of and try to figure out a way to condense because. Nobody wants to do 50 states times 16 graph, 16 video cards and try to graph all of that. So we kind of condensed it all down in a way that I think makes a lot of sense. Um, so if you were interested about Bitcoin mining before, based on our discussion in the previous article, <laughs> it's definitely worth taking a look at the second article and make sure you are still interested in it. If you live in California, if you live in New York State, you know, you live in uh, Connecticut, you might go, uh, okay, all of a sudden, not only am I uh, going to cost myself quite a bit extra per year in electrical costs, but now all of a sudden I'm going to raise my, my air conditioning bill during the summer. Although right. I guess it could help your heating bill in the winter. It's amazing actually also, even inside the state of California, how much power That's can true. vary. Because my power bill dropped to almost nothing when I, when I moved out of San Francisco. Mm. Um, we should probably take a moment to, to step away from the Bitcoin mining. Uh, actually, sure. I, I do want to actually ask you one question. Do you like it as a benchmark? Because it just seems to be a, it seems to be a flat out abuse of 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 the 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 computing power of the GPU. In that sense, do you find it an interesting benchmark or or sort of sort of I an extreme what, example? It, the the fact that it's so heavily weighted to AMD versus NVIDIA for uh, a couple of different reasons, just the way the architectures work, I, I'm hesitant to use it as like a GPU benchmark. I, I would use it as a GPU benchmark to compare AMD cards to each other, but I wouldn't really feel comfortable in a, in a, in a fairness sense comparing the AMD. Like I wouldn't say, okay, if we do a, a review of the 600, GTX 600 and the Radeon 7000 uh, and including a benchmark saying, well, here's the Bitcoin performance and somehow telling you to buy a card based on that. We would still very much pinpoint that towards gaming and that type of stuff. And maybe have a little side note about that. But um, I don't, it, it's so heavily weighted to one side, it almost seems kind of unfair. But if you are, if you are one of the, one of the reasons you want to buy a graphics card is for Bitcoin mining, obviously that's information you're going to want to see. So we will probably still test for it for all new graphics cards going forward. It's just a matter of how much emphasis we will put on it in actual video card reviews as opposed to specialized right. articles like this. All right. The, uh, well, actually, we should probably take a moment to thank one of our sponsors. Um, we absolutely or, should. 
We absolutely well, let's do that. <laughs> we should. Uh, we should tell everybody this episode of This Week in Computer Hardware is brought to you by Netflix. Netflix streams thousands of TV episodes and movies directly to you instantly, which means you save time, money, and hassle. There are several easy ways to instantly access streaming movies and TV shows with Netflix. You can watch Netflix movies on your TV uh, or Netflix movies and TV shows on your Mac or PC or on your iPad with the new iPad application. You can watch on your iPhone uh, and some Android phones too. I know my Evo 4G actually supports this program. Uh, if you have a gaming console like a 360 or a PlayStation 3 and Nintendo Wii, you can watch Netflix right on your TV that way as well. If you're not a gamer, though, you can still watch Netflix on your TV with an Apple TV or a Roku box. They're inexpensive and pretty easy to set up and use. So even if you have uh, spouses like myself that aren't comfortable using uh, home theater PCs, you can do it pretty easily with an Apple TV or a Roku box. So with Netflix, you can watch movies and TV shows instantly using any of these devices, and you can begin watching a movie, uh, begin watching a movie or show on one device, and finish it on a different one, which is a nice feature to have if you travel or you want to move from the downstairs family room to the upstairs bedroom, and you still have those compatible devices. That's uh, a nice feature to have. Uh, whichever way you choose to access Netflix, you can watch as many movies and TV shows as you want any time you want. And you can cancel at any time if you're not happy with the service. But I don't think that's going to be an issue. Try Netflix today for 30 days free. Go to netflix.com slash twit, T-W-I-T. Be sure to use that URL when you sign up for your free trial. Netflix.com slash twit. We thank Netflix for their support of This Week in Tech and This Week in Computer Hardware. And we hope you enjoy watching instantly with Netflix. Take a moment for all the Mac enthusiasts in the audience. Uh, new MacBook Air. People that were coming out this week. It looks like they'll be coming out next week. Uh, Core i5 uh, 2467M, the, 20, the Core i7 2637M, and the Core i7 2677M. Um, the uh, two i7s are running at 1.7 and 1.8 gigahertz, pulling, I should say, barely sipping 17 <laughs> watts. That is going to be an interesting part. Four gigabytes of RAM is supposed to be the uh, memory, uh, eight max, uh, 64 gigabyte SSDs go away, uh, 128 and 256 stay. And I am going to try so hard to make one of these my next notebook at work. <laughs> now, do they basically, did they say, first, or in the rumors, I guess, did they say that the form factor was going to stay the same? You know, I would assume, assume the form. Part of me wants to assume the form factor is going to stay the same, but mm -hmm. I know our CTO has one of the current high-end configurations of the MacBook Air, and he's had some reliability issues. He also does horrendous things uh, to his MacBook Air, like compile massive amounts of code or render, mass render massive amounts of video. And I don't think the current. Uh, I don't think the current. Here, let me let me. I think the thermal envelope is pretty well stuffed in the current iteration. I think the newer parts are going to, right. to decrease the thermal, or basically uh, uh, kick Be a little the easier on the system? That's the exact phrase I was stumbling so poorly to say. <laughs> um, I, I, think the, I think the new systems, you know, will they, could they release a, a, a new package? Possibly. I almost might say probably, since they're supposed to put Thunderbolt on them. But it'll be it'll be interesting to see. Uh, I also want to see that you know I want to see like twelve hours of battery life out of a Core i seven machine. Yeah, that would make me really, really happy. I mean, these are incredibly sexy laptops. I don't think anybody can deny that. Yeah. Uh, and it's I I was when those first came out, I was kind of like almost on the verge of buying one every time I walked by the Apple store. Right. <laughs> uh, luckily for me, they didn't have the one that had like four gigs of memory and the lowest end processor. Otherwise, I'm sure right. it would have happened. Um, 
I, they I might, bought one they for might my wife it. and she loves it. Yeah, I mean, but there there were there were stories going around also this week about the potential of the the same Core i7 Sandy Bridge CULV parts showing up in ASUS machines and I believe mm-hmm. HP like these hyper small right. form factor uh, and even the um, what was that new the, the Sony Vio Z that came oh, out interesting. shown this week I don't think it uses this exact processor right. but if you you know if you're not a Mac person and you definitely want to stick with a PC it looks like there might be options for that remember at Computex we talked we showed the ASUS UX series which was what do they call that new form factor the Ultrabook Intel dubbed <laughs> it the Ultrabook um, so. And it was very similar to a MacBook Air in that regard. So uh, do I think any PC manufacturer is really going to be able to like, get that exact same sex appeal to a machine that the Apple MacBook Air has? I, I kind of doubt it. But if you can get close enough and keep the Windows operating system and keep all of the applications and stuff that I'm used to using, I'm more looking forward to that. But uh, I think new MacBook Airs are... They they could be cool, and I just hope I don't have to spend money on them. <laughs> you know, it, it'll be interesting. There there've been a couple of interesting articles recently that talked about one of the interesting aspects of Apple's relationship to its vendors is that they've been willing to invest large amounts of money to buy hardware, essentially do capital investments on behalf of its manufacturers, so that they would be able to produce some of these crazy uh, designs, some of this ble- you know basically taking advantage of some of the more bleeding edge technology. And and part of me desperately wants to see a picture of the facility where they manufacture basically all of this massive amount of CNC machining of aluminum cases. Because um, it just has to be, you know what I mean? Like, just imagine a room with like, you know, a hundred of these mills just running 24 7, 365. Right. Just has to be a fantastic site. Um, I'm also a hardware nerd uh, on some level. Do you want to talk about well, sure. uh, uh, the AMD A series APU uh, uh, graphics uh, performance, or do you want yeah, to talk this, about? The, okay. This is this is real quick. Um, you know, last week we we talked about and, and showed little clips of uh, a video we did that looked at the AMD A series APU and how overclocking the APU could improve gaming performance anywhere from like right. thirty to forty percent, and that was pretty cool. We had some other requests. We had we had a lot of success with that video. We decided to do another one that's in the same short three to three minute time span type of thing, two to three minutes. This looks at how dual graphics works. So dual graphics is the being able to combine a low-cost discrete card with the integrated graphics on the AMD A8 or A6 series of APUs. And, you know, same type of results here were actually pretty impressive. We, we paired the A8 3850 APU with a Radeon HD 6570 graphics card, which sells for about $7. And we saw um, 30 to 45% frame rate increases going from just the discrete card to enabling crossfire aka dual graphics which means it takes advantage of the of the graphics performance in the apu and in several instances games like bad company 2 games like aliens versus predator lost planet 2 um these these gains are are worth noting and i think are present a pretty good option for gamers that want to build the system the lowest possible price uh, and then have the option to upgrade it down the road with a 60 or 70 dollar graphics card you you have that capability and then you don't feel like you're throwing away the performance or the investment you made in what is essentially half of the silicon on an amd apu Right. So there's still some limitations. It doesn't support DX9 gaming, which I think is a is a total cop out on AMD's part. Um, 
there's there's no technological reason why they can't support DirectX 9 games. They are simply doing it because of uh, I don't want to say laziness, but lack of time, lack of ability to commit to that market. You know, they say DX10 and DX11 is the future, which is true, but uh, there are a ton of people that are going to be playing on DX9 games for you know two plus more years out there. But uh, if you if you want to see, if you're interested in that kind of low cost gaming, which I think if we get to some of our questions, you will see that lots of people are now that the Lano has Lano processor has come out. That that this type of information is is pretty useful and pretty interesting. I think. I like it. All right, take a moment to talk about uh, tablets. Uh, mm-hmm. Amazon is coming out with an Android tablet, which uh, I've always found kind of fascinating. Um, There's a pretty interesting read actually up in the New York Times of all places. Uh, and in my infinite wisdom, I managed to actually close that window. Um, the most interesting, I think, being the idea that uh, they chose to go with Android rather than um, Lab 126, which is the division of Amazon responsible for the Kindle e-readers, which has obviously been a phenomenal mm-hmm. success for Amazon. Um, but it's interesting because they're trying to create a tablet that has a very iTunes-like experience in the sense that they want it to be tied into Amazon's cloud music and, uh, uh, you know, do some of the other things. So they're, it's an interesting situation where they're kind of at war with themselves over the operating system, um, you know, or I should say at war with, with themselves over making this tablet actually seem attractive compared to the other ones. It seems like it's going to be a long way out. I thought it might be out this summer. Um, but they oh, are kind of under that assumption still as well. Yeah, well, it's it's you know at this point. Maybe it's going to be like I thought it was going to be this year. Maybe in the fall, the winter. Um, yeah. It's very. It, it's very, the article definitely does not come anywhere near touching a mm. name. But uh, basically, like you know, they've had issues with the touchscreen technology they purchased, and it's been really interesting. I think actually watching um, the legal machinations. Uh, depending <laughs> on, well, no, no, no. It's kind of funny. Not so much with the Android Kindle, but with uh, Google Android operating system, where you know Apple and um, pretty much. Uh, Apple and pretty much everybody else, Apple, Microsoft, and just about everybody else in technology, Sony comes to mind, um, banded together to buy Nortel's patent portfolio just to keep it out of Google's hands, and uh, which actually impacts all of us because it impacts uh, the affordability of the hardware. Um, because at this point, you know, every Android device, basically every Android device that's made puts a couple bucks plus into the coffers of Windows, or I should say of Microsoft um, because of patent licensing. Um, Oracle's actually pushing to get a, a probably more significant chunk of ch- cash because they claim that the Java engine inside of uh, uh, Android actually uh, violates a Sun patent. So I think this nice. comes back to, yeah, I think it's going to be really <laughs> watching this and then watching... Um, Mary Jo Foley uh, is one of the best writers out there, reporters that keeps that keeps micro, her entire beat is Microsoft, and she's got some interesting stuff to say. Looking at the idea of the sort of Windows everywhere platform, which Windows, uh, Microsoft, I seem to have confused Microsoft and Windows today. Um, mm. uh, the idea that that it's going to be Windows from the handheld device to you know non-screen interface devices inside your house, like maybe the operating system for your washing machine or, or, or goodness help me, your car. Right. Um, 
<laughs> Every time I think of windows in a car, I have a, a moment where I get a little bit That's uptight. Not, yeah, I agree with that. I remember that it's <laughs> it's not anywhere near the the engine or brake control systems. And actually, I I, I got to say, Sync, which is the the project that uh, Ford did with Microsoft, works fantastically well. Um, but it's going to be interesting, I think, to watch continually watching the legal machinations because Oracle wants to get a big chunk of change out of Google because um, that's going to impact uh, access to new technology and new devices. So just an aside I thought was worth bringing up, uh, waiting around for Amazon to come up with that. And uh, um, you caught on to something I was freaking out about yesterday. I know. I, the coolest, I, I think it's got to be the coolest uh, college project ever, University of Illinois, Chicago. Uh, Arthur Nishimoto designed uh, a giant touchscreen Star Wars game. Uh, first showed up on Boing Boing. Um, <laughs> how would we you describe should, we should, this? <laughs> yeah, I was, okay, I was making sure that video is actually going here. So this is, they, they, they built it, and you know, like on a Microsoft, uh, what was their like tabletop um, touch-based technology, the system there, but they, they expanded that onto a 20-foot LCD multi-touch panel array. And if you're watching the video, if you're not watching the video stream, you definitely should, or you should find this video because the game they built um, is impressive as hell to look at. And it's like... It's like a massively multiplayer simulation of Rebels yeah. versus the Empire in real time on a 25-foot wall of screen. <laughs> it is the coolest freaking project. I not to take anything away from from you know the MIT crew, but this right. thing is epic. Uh, and uh, the PCPro.com article has a great link to the full HD uh, video on YouTube, which is really really worth looking at because there is a lot going on in this screen, which you probably can't see through our podcast right now. And, but look and, at and that. If you have... Oh, sorry. I was like, look at the fighters and the interface as they pop up the engine. Like, it's not only like a good game. It's not even like a good interface, but it looks like a fun game as well. I have no idea about yeah. any of the icons that they're actually touching are actually doing. Maybe it's nothing but animations, but uh, it's pretty cool. And if you ever wonder why Patrick and I and all these enthusiasts get excited about. Um, three display gaming from NVIDIA and ATI or six display gaming from, from AMD Ifinity, you know, you, you start to get an idea of what the potential is for this once we get beyond six panels, once, you know, we can do, I don't know, whatever, 24 panels or whatever this happens right. to be. Um, obviously, they need to come down in price a little bit before this becomes a viable <laughs> option for the majority of us, but it's, it's cool to see demonstrations, and I guess I need to enroll at the University of Illinois at Chicago. No, At least first semester. I just want to make sure somebody's, you know, somebody's uh, given that student an, a chance to get their entrepreneurial something on and and turn that in. I, you know, it, uh, like that and a Microsoft Connect. Can you imagine playing like real time tennis? I mean, I that don't even want to play awesome. tennis, but I want to play real time tennis <laughs> with a twenty five foot wall, which is a good moment for us to maybe thank another sponsor. <laughs> we absolutely should. Uh, this episode of. This Week in Computer Hardware is also brought to you by Squarespace.com, the fast and easy way to create a high-quality website or blog. Say you're very interested in multi-touch, mini-display gaming configurations. So you want to write about those. You want to talk about the different developments in AMD Affinity, NVIDIA Surround, things that universities are doing, large panel configurations. Maybe you want to use this as an excuse to be able to tour uh, the new Dallas Cowboys football stadium 
all these reasons are to create a new website on squarespace.com. It has an easy to use user interface for creating and managing a website or blog. It's optimized for both beginners and CSS experts. If you want to get behind the code and actually edit things manually, you have the capability to do that. It's not locked out to you. But if you don't, it has hundreds of design templates to choose from and you can customize any of them to fit your needs. So you can start with something, modify it as much as you want and create something totally unique. Um, it does have iPhone and iPad apps for updating your blog on the go, online resources, and special support team to give you personal help 24 hours a day, seven days a week. This is an all-inclusive service that includes uh, modules to build your website, like uh, the blog module, form builder, Flickr photo display, uh, Twitter widget, social media buttons to connect your website and visitors to uh, Facebook and Twitter and those types of things. It includes Google Maps and more. It also has website tracking so you know how many times your site is viewed and it has built-in search engine optimizer. It has permission access handling if you want to have multiple people running your website, but you don't want them to be able to edit each other's posts or you want to be able to have just multiple user control. Squarespace definitely has it for you. And the good news is it's all built on a cloud architecture uh, for speed and site stability. So you don't have to worry about your article getting put on Slashdot and the whole thing getting ripped down uh, because it's not able to handle the traffic. You definitely want to be able to handle the traffic when it comes. That's when you're going to be able to gain the most readers. So you can use, you can and should use Squarespace for all your website needs. Build it, host it, and update it anytime. For a free trial, go to squarespace.com. Sign up for a free account. No credit card is needed at all. Just try it out and start building your website. And then if you decide to purchase it, use offer code TWITCH7 and get 10% off for six months. That's squarespace.com. Use offer code TWITCH7, 10% off for six months. And we thank squarespace.com for their support of This Week in Computer Hardware. Woohoo! Thank you, thank you, thank you. Email us, people. Twitch at twit.tv is the email address as I scooch a little closer to the camera. We want to hear your <laughs> questions. You can also Twitter us at Patrick Norton and at Ryan Shrout. And we've got an email from Ben about notebook CPU upgrades. He says, I'd like to throw my two cents in regarding the laptop CPU upgrade discussion in the past two episodes. He says, I've spent the past seven years working on hardware for my job. I've replaced motherboards and just about every other component and just about every major brand of laptop made in the last 10 years. I would like to point out that from my expertise, having a CPU soldered to the board is more the exception than the rule. Most modern notebooks have ZIF sockets on the motherboard that make replacing a CPU slightly more difficult than a desktop. Most netbooks with Atom or AMD Fusion CPUs have the CPU soldered to the board. When it comes to tablets, my experience isn't as broad, but if it's an i3 or i7, not an Atom anyway, it's probably socketed or upgradable. Hmm. Okay. Yeah, that was more of an informational bit of, of news there. I guess it's just it's one of those things that's hit or miss. I you know, I'm sitting here looking at my Lenovo ThinkPad X201 thinking the last thing I want to do is try to take it apart <laughs> and figure out if I can change the right. processor in it. Um, but maybe if you are uh, a, a lot, much more chat or uh, much more cost conscious about those types of things, re definitely do your research before you start taking a screwdriver to your machine, though. Yeah, I got to say the last, the, the two, the, the last two core 
Core Duo, Core 2 Duo notebooks of inside of, I have had a chance to be inside of because of what I will affectionately call terrible accidents, uh, one of which was my own fault involving a sledgehammer and a Pelican case test, one of which was somebody else's fault dropping their machine down a flight of stairs, uh, concrete Oops. stairs, yeah, concrete stairs, pinwheel, <laughs> and into a wall at the end of the uh, stairwell. Did the wall um, survive? Uh, the wall survived, the notebook uh, basically uh, just exploded on impact, I'm told. <laughs> or or did, I should say, I, I believe, because I saw the pile of parts that they brought over to my desk. We're like, hey, you want to play around with this? Um, but in both <laughs> those cases and in, in, the, uh, and in the Apple machines I've been inside of, uh, the MacBooks, they've all, I think they've all had soldered down processors. Especially when you get into these uh -huh. ultra-small form factor machines, I think that's more likely to be seen. Um, especially like the MacBook Air and that type of stuff. I'm not 100% I'm not sure on that, but that would make a lot more sense to me. Uh, we have another email here from Lawrence is looking for i5T variants, like the Core i5-2390T, Core i5-2500T. So do you have any contacts at Intel that can shed some light on if these CPUs are available for mere mortals, a.k.a. not ordering them by the tray? I don't need uh, the fancy packaging or heatsink, just the CPU. No one seems to have them in stock, and it's the only part that's missing for my new Mini-ITX Media Center build. Uh, <laughs> picks and details to come shortly. These CPUs are killer for small media center they are 35 to 45 watt processors, uh, dual core with hyperthreading, uh, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, Patrick, do you have any insight on where these processors can be found? Yeah, I'm pretty sure they're not selling them. If they're selling them publicly, um, let me rephrase that. I'm, I'm pretty sure they're not selling these parts to anybody in a onesie, twosie. Um, no channel parts. No channel parts. Of course, as soon as I say that, look at that. Did I just come up with one on... Uh, <laughs> That would be really funny if, like, the search that came up fruitless earlier um, well, shows that's, up. That's why we're flexible and we move on the fly. Yeah. That Google, that feisty Google. <laughs> um, yeah, no, this is turning up a generic. Okay. Uh, okay, I feel better. It's just turning up a generic Core i5 3.3 gigahertz processor. Um, yeah, it's it's one of the things. There are some parts that are almost impossible to buy. Mm -hmm. um, because Intel makes them in giant volumes and ships them, ships them out by the tray and about all you can do is just keep one eye on the intertubes hoping for it to show up for sale and uh, uh, you know if, if they're not selling if they're not you know either that or it hasn't shipped yet is the other, op is the other option it's possible um, also that the T-Series, if it exists today and all those other things that Patrick's are, Patrick is saying are true, that this is either um, something that requires very specific implementation features, very specific uh, power settings and stuff that maybe if you just plug it into a normal motherboard, it wouldn't just work. Right. Uh, maybe it runs at much lower voltages than most motherboards are capable of providing or know how to provide or have BIOSes to provide that. Um, so that there's probably a reason why they're not doing that. Uh, so I, I, I'm, I'm not sure on this. I think, I think maybe we can, I can forward this question on to the people at Intel and, and see if they know if or when these will ever be made available in the channel. Because Lawrence seems to think that these are going to be available in the channel or should be available in the channel right. if he's built a system pretty much waiting for that part. So. <laughs> well, we hope for Lawrence's sake that it does yeah. show up. It's sort of, yeah, launched in Q1 2011, 2500T. Mm. Uh, the arc.intel.com site will have lots of information on the processor. Not so sure if it'll have information on availability or anything like right. that. 
trying to figure out what makes it different from the 2500K. Um, my guess is if we look at max TDP, the max TDP on T is 45 watts. Uh, and it runs at, let's see, it has a smaller packaging size, 37.5 by 37.5. That could be the Ooh, difference. That would do it. Um, so it's okay. So it's a big difference. 95 watts versus 45 watts TDP. So that's the same package size, but very, very different power consumption. So these these processors are also going to be much more expensive. Uh, right. I'm guessing because they are binned for such a a tweaked lower power consumption rating. Interesting. Mm-hmm. Uh, do, 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 sorry, I lost. I got so excited about learning about that. I got lost. <laughs> <laughs> David's got. Uh, a question about a Lano upgrade for $400. He says, I'd like to open up by saying your show fills a great information gap for me every week and it helps me make my commute to and from work that much better. Thank you, David. Recently, my housemate has been having some major computer problems. Long story short, his machine is a train wreck that is constantly <laughs> failing. Oh, nothing better than a roommate with a box full of fail. I believe it suffered some sort of surge at one point as he had to replace the power supply a year ago and all the parts are just causing major problems as time goes on. As of this point, he can't run without blue screening, and sometimes it just fails to post. He was running a Core Core 2 EA400 and NVIDIA 9800 and only 2 gigs of RAM. His MOBO is pretty low and allows for no tweaking to the BIOS. I do not know the make or model offhand. Of the recoverable parts, we have a case, a fairly new 600-watt power supply, (laughs) and his hard drives. I tested them all in a test rig I used for my own builds. They seem serviceable. Has extremely limited funds, sub $400, and I was wondering if the Lano APU would serve him without also buying a discrete GPU right away, maybe picking one up a few months down the line. The only thing he actively plays is World of Warcraft and League of Legends, neither of which are super intensive. I couldn't seem mm-hmm. to find any specific benchmarks for these games, so I wanted to get your opinion on purchasing Lano, Lano-capable motherboard, and some DDR3 to replace his previous <laughs> train wreck of a computer. <laughs> Oh. I, hate, I hate that feeling, right? But I've definitely had those feelings where it's like, it's not worth even fighting this machine anymore. It's time to start over. Uh, so f- it's interesting. He mentions this. He, I'm glad if you write in, make sure you mention specific things like... That's very important. So you can get a Lano motherboard for about $100. You can get the top-end Lano processor for $140. So you're at $240. Uh, you add $40 worth of DDR3 memory. Maybe that gets them up to 4 gigs, maybe even 8 gigs if you look really hard. And you're talking a complete upgrade there for 300 bucks using your existing hard drive power supply case. Because I look at the the Core Two Duo E eighty four hundred, I mean it's it, okay. It's it's an it's an older part at this point. It's, mm-hmm. it's it is you went away, so it's three years old. But you're still talking about a, you know, a, a Core Two Duo with six megs of cache, clocked at three gigahertz in a in a thirteen you know thirty three megahertz front side bus. Is that part aging that poorly? I mean that's um, that's still like a. I think that's still like a. What is that selling for these days? Because I think if you launched, can find it, you it's might still 180 some, bucks. I mean, is it? Yeah. So I don't think that processor has lost all um, 
usability in this market. Mm -hmm. In fact, our, our very next question kind of confirms that. Um, but if it's if it's to the point where maybe he thinks his motherboard is bad and he has to replace the motherboard, if he's going to spend $130 to replace the motherboard anyway, right. it's one of those things where it's like, eh, you know, the, the NVIDIA 9800 is still a decent card. He doesn't say what, right. if it's a GT or GTX or anything like that. It's still a pretty good card. I think the Lano will provide probably nearly the same type of performance and like i said if you're that, you get all that for 300 bucks so if you want to you can spend that extra 50 60 bucks get a, a 65 70 or 66 70 uh discrete card do that whole uh, dual graphics thing we talked about or maybe look at a 99 dollar radeon hd 5830 if you can find that it's gonna you know, it's going to blow the Lano APU out of the water. So I think for that $400 mark, you've got a lot of options there. And Eric has a <laughs> – I like your note on this one. Thank you. you. have an email from Eric about <laughs> taking our advice and loving it. A while back, I asked if you Core 2 Duo – if a Core 2 Duo would cope with a fast GPU and three displays, previous message below. I just wanted to let you know that my brother bought the MSI Lightning 6970 on your advice. It's the fastest single GPU, and it runs great with the Core 2 Duo. Thanks, guys. And if you would like to check it out, here is the YouTube link. Keep the podcast coming. It's great. I like it when people do what we say and yeah. don't hate us for it. <laughs> so this, this is a good reference to the previous question. So right. this question, I think it was last week or two weeks ago, said, hey, we've got this Core 2 Duo system. Everything else is fine about it. If it was using an old graphics card, would it still be okay to upgrade it? He wants to use three displays. And I said, yeah, sure. The 6970 is the fastest single GPU card you can get that'll do three uh, displays. The GTX 580 is still the fastest single graphics card, but if you want to do three displays, you've got to go with the Radeon series there. So 6970 was the best option. Right. He says it runs great. He provided video evidence. This is all of uh, this. This is all of the things we need to see for successful implementation of potential advice from Twitch. Yeah, and, and there's still a lot of really good, um, you know, and relatively inexpensive, like an Asus P5ND. That's mm -hmm. seventy-seven bucks. Um, I'm trying to think of. of uh, what, do you have a favorite sort of core two duo? Obviously, I'm still trying to salvage the the old processor from the previous user, um, right? You know, which is with, you know, but it's it's also it's 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 really tough, right? Isolating when when you have massive blue screens, it's like okay, I've wiped the hard drive, mm -hmm. it's still blue screening. I've replaced the hard drive. Okay, it's not you know issues with the hard drive. You know, I've swapped out, and then you get to like the, you know when you get to trying to diagnose the motherboard and the CPU, it's like do you have a spare motherboard, right? Because you once you buy the motherboard, open the motherboard, right. um, you install the processor. In most situations, you've bought it and you can't return it. Uh, unless you're buying most from an online vendor. Yeah, most of the time. Unless you're buying from an online vendor who's kind of gracious right. about that. But, you know, it, it's... Uh, man, the other thing I, I will say, like with Ryan, it's like it can be really good to be like, I'm done. You know, donate the parts to, you know, your local Goodwill or give them to somebody to play around with yeah. or find a computer geek that wants them and just be like, I'm going to get a fresh system that isn't broken. And do me a favor, put a surge protector on this one uh, when you have the money. Uh, Battery put a surge backup, protector on it. Yeah. Yeah, because it's always, it's also amazing um, uh, how. You know, just weird little shifts, especially if you're in an apartment building or an older apartment building or an older neighborhood, uh, mm -hmm. how the, the electricity can get a little funny, especially in the summer when people start slamming on uh, air conditioning units at one in the morning because they've, they've broken up. They just can't take the heat anymore, and all of a sudden there's a brownout in your neighborhood. Nice. Something that happened a lot when I lived in uh, North Jersey. Let's see. We got uh, an email from Wayne here. Actually, we got two emails on a very similar subject, one from Wayne, one from Scott, about 
cloning hard drives and those types of topics. First question, my current Windows 7 boot drive is a single partition, one terabyte RAID 0 made up of two 500 gigs, 7200 RPM drives. Recently, I'm beginning to suspect one of them may be failing. I don't want to risk the data loss. I would like to replace them as soon as possible. First question, I haven't tested the speed benefits of RAID lately. Do you think I will notice the speed difference if I replace the two RAID 0 drives with a single one terabyte, 7200 RPM drive? Secondly, if I go with the single drive replacement, or if I go with two RAID 0 500 gig drives, is there a simple way to replace these boot drives with the new ones while cloning all the data and not having to reinstall Windows? I'm not sure if all cloning software also retains the ability to boot. In my perfect world, I'd like to clone overnight uh, and then boot seamlessly to my new drives in the morning. Is this a pipe dream? I was going to go all this alone, but I figured I'd get your expert opinions first. Any advice appreciated? And I guess before we answer that, very similar vein, uh, Scott asks, I recently purchased an Asus computer with a Core i7-2600 CPU from Best Buy. It came with a one terabyte SATA drive. I installed an additional one terabyte drive strictly for data. The drive with the OS on it is under 100 gigs. I assume that means it's, uh, he's using less than 100 gigs of data. I was wondering if there would be an issue if I wanted to image the drive and put it on a new 120 or 128 gig SSD. I've never imaged a drive before and have heard that you can't image the larger capacity drive onto a smaller capacity drive, even if the actual amount of data would fit onto the smaller drive. Patrick, what are your thoughts on these two dilemmas? Um, the, uh, you have to pardon me, the, uh, the, uh, our, our sysadmin just came in and asked me if he could take us sure. offline, and I'm like, I, I need no. like 10 more minutes. Um, right. <laughs> I, I I have been over raid for years. Uh, hard drive raid. Mm -hmm. I just I just I just don't. Man, I'm doing raid one if I'm doing anything anymore. Yeah, and I just I avoid raid like the plague because it just tends to be a bag of fail, and it's a bag of in a in a world with SSDs. It just seems like if you want to do it, by all means, go forth, build yourself sure. a raid. But when you look at the performance of SSDs, you know, and if you want to be a super nerd, you can like try to raid SSDs, but. Um, I, I just, man, I, I just would go with a simple single hard drive, the fastest hard drive you can get your hands on. An SSD would be ideal. And, you know, replacing the two zero RAID, RAID zero drives with a single one terabyte 7200 RPM drive, it really depends on the performance of your RAID configuration. Um, yeah, how old the drives are. Yeah, because it's, it's amazing. There's, I, I don't feel like there's a real linear curve on drive performance. It kind of goes in fits and starts, and aerial density has right. often in the last few years had a greater impact on you know, how fast you can rip the data off the hard drive. When, when, you, right. when you basically like the hard drives, it's, you know, it's a, a 5400 drive, 5, RPM hard drive with a higher aerial density will move more bits underneath the head than a 7200 RPM hard drive with a lower aerial density. So my thought is, is like, man, just freaking buy, you know, buy one of the less expensive SS Use your existing drives for storage. Um, I don't know. Obviously, I am not a fan of RAID. Uh, I want him so, to buy an SSD. <laughs> right. Um, so, so the first guy is moving from RAID. I guess his main concern is he's moving from RAID 0 to a single drive. Is that an issue? Right. Um, that actually won't be an issue. The software that I use personally that I would recommend, it's not free. There, are, there might be some free options for you, is Acronis uh, True Image Home. 2011 is the, is the latest version of it. Mm -hmm. It's $39 per license, um, and what it will do is you will install it, reboot your machine, uh, and it will 
it will actually do that copy for you. It'll copy from RAID to a single drive. If you want to do RAID to RAID, it'll be able to do that, I think, in Windows. That way the drivers are all loaded and, and you have everything ready to go. That that shouldn't be a big issue. For the guy that's asking about moving from a one terabyte drive to a 128 gig SSD, it definitely is possible to move from a larger drive to a smaller drive if you have that data. It's a little bit more intense process because it's right. not just copying ones and zeros straight across. It has to actually kind of compress things first, kind of, you know, clean up the data. Right. But that app, that same application, the Acronis True Image Home, can do that. I've done that. I've moved from a 600 gig drive to a 300 gig drive <laughs> many times on it. Um, and it works. And, and the good news is about all these cloning operations is that if it doesn't work, you're not out anything, right? If it right. doesn't copy over to the, the single drive for the first guy, um, then it doesn't boot. You're like, oh, crap. You just change the boot setting so it boots off the other array still, right? right? And so you still have that kind of fallback on it, which I think is good. Yeah, I think the the mo I ended up when I when I moved, uh, you know, from a one terabyte drive to an SSD and a one terabyte drive. I was playing around with some of the imaging software, and then I was like, you know, I'm gonna. Yeah, I ended up putting a fresh install on the SSD, imaging the SSD, and then moving, you know, moving the data around to an external drive, just because I didn't want to have to deal with managing the Windows installation on the one terabyte drive and the SSD on the same time. Um, it's more like, you know, I mean, it's it's like one of those things where. You know, if you don't have an external drive, I would borrow one. <laughs> right. Yeah. But yeah, imaging. You know, if you are going to take the the operating system and application image off of your existing drive and and clone it over to your SSD, that's that's actually a relatively pain-free process. Acronis True Image is a great software package. There's there's several other ones out there that are that are also free. Um, Jason. Uh, has a question about the heat from a larger monitor. He says, I've got a Shuttle SN68 SG2 that I made into a green gamer. Problem has mm -hmm. arisen when I upgrade my 23-inch Samsung for a 32-inch Acer TV monitor. Now when I do any large video, my GPU gets very hot. When I try to play the game, the only game I play, EVE Online, my video card goes into meltdown, 121 degrees Celsius. I'm also getting very hot trying to edit and record my podcast or my Hypnosis Guided Meditation MP3. My question is, seeing that I only have two or 250 watts of power from the shuttle power supply unit and very little room for anything bigger than what I have now, what GPU should I be looking at to push this big screen without making fission? I should also mention that I stream twit all day long on this 4x8 widget. <laughs> Thank you. I think That's my goal good. of saving the world a few years ago may have screwed me now. Please help me to continue to save the earth and use a low energy machine. <laughs> So attack 8800 GT, AMD 4850E, dual core green, 4 gigs PC 6400, a digital, Western Digital Caviar Green, uh, and a silent aftermarket fan that moves tons of air instead of the stock shuttle fan. Um, I think, you know, it's been interesting. We were playing around today earlier with, um, we were trying to isolate whether or not it was a network issue or a notebook graphics issue looking at 1080, 1080p uh, playback um, Different, there were differences. The HTML5 implementation worked great. The Flash implementation didn't work great. And it turned out to be a network issue, uh, an ISP issue. Um, but it's really frustrating when you start looking at uh, 
if you get a bunch of flash windows open or if you're playing a, a, a like trying to play an HD or even an SD flash video if you don't have any GPU acceleration using like the current version of uh, of uh, flashes I want to say 10.3 and they've got mm-hmm. finally got some they're finally offloading the GPU and my question is whether or not even though you have an upgraded fan I, I wonder is your GPU getting enough air because just just putting your your just putting your desktop on your 1080p television should not be hurting your GPU. Uh, uh, it, it's interesting. He doesn't list the resolutions between the Samsung and the Acer TV right. monitor. Um, well, it can't be any bigger than 1080p. Yeah, and maybe. And I would assume the Samsung would have to be at least would be would be 1080p as well. There have right. been instances. I'm wondering. So he's he's upgrading. If he has both displays connected, I've seen some instances where Nvidia cards will get hotter than they should uh, if there are two displays. <laughs> We take that out of the case, uh, out of the potential issues there. It is. I mean, the 8800 GT is overclocked at factory. Maybe try downclocking it. I mean, there there are definitely more power efficient GPUs you could get that will be able to run video, no problems. If your card Mm -hmm. is getting to 121 degrees Celsius, that's really bad. Like that's really really above safety levels. Um, Our when we were Bitcoin mining with that five GPU system, when all those cars were smushed together, the highest temperature I saw was 103, and even that made me kind of nervous. So 121, if that's accurate, is way beyond safety range um check yeah like patrick said make sure the fan's working make sure it's getting proper airflow if there's the heat sink hasn't separated yeah that's true i mean you might want to take it apart a little bit um but you can always go with you know if you're not doing gaming you can get any 30 50 60 video card and it's going to run cool and they're going to run relatively quiet and you will have i mean the 8800 gt is going to use more power than any of those cards would um, right. for that he doesn't say if he's doing gaming in here does he i don't know uh, he mentioned eve, eve online. online that's, yeah, that's the only basically it's when he plays when he tries to play eve online basically going into 3d causes the meltdown so everything other than the 3d playing uh the, the 3d and eve online mm-hmm. works out pretty well for him so I would almost say I, I want to say upgrade to a modern, you know, a more modern GPU and see if that solves right. the issue. Yeah, it, it, like I said, if you can get them for sixty, seventy dollars, it might be worth a shot. And Eve Online, you're right, is not going to be a game that's going to need a two hundred dollar video card really right now, anyway. So there you have it. Cool. One last question before we go: We got an email from Jed about upgrade options. He says, my system is currently running an Athlon 2X4645, 8 gigs of DDR2 memory, and an HD Radeon 4650 with a 1080p monitor. What would be the best upgrade path to squeeze the most out of my current motherboard for gaming and movie editing? I've looked at the 6-core AMD chip, but because my motherboard only supports 95-watt editions, I've only been able to find OEM editions on eBay for 200 bucks shipping from Hong Kong. This makes me nervous. It should. <laughs> I've also looked at upgrading the GPU, and I'm leaning towards a GTX 460. Would going from 768 megabytes to one gigabyte matter? Should I risk going for the OEM CPU or go for the CUDA cores in the GPU that'll apparently help H.264 transcoding in Premiere? Hmm. I, not to disparage anyone selling legitimate CPUs out of Hong Kong, but I get super uptight about buying chips from overseas. I get super uptight about buying chips from eBay, period. Yes, uh, agree. Uh, that's a great way to get scammed out of money. 
it's a great way to get this game to the money, not know exactly what you're buying, not have any real recourse with any kind of um, buyers or, or any kind of seller. Um, you know, at least if you buy from Newegg or Zip Zoom Fly or Fries, there is an entity behind it opposed to right. as opposed to a potentially uh, a potential individual. But um, so he says his board only supports 95 watt processors. I looked up that processor. The the Athlon 2X4 is obviously a quad core processor. Runs at 3.1 gigahertz, 95 watts. That's so it's still a, it's still a decent CPU. Obviously there are faster AMD parts available, but not that fit in his motherboard. Um, let's see. He's looking at leaning towards a GTX 460 uh, for H.264 encoding. In Premiere, 768 meg versus one gig isn't really going to matter. What will matter is the uh, shader count in it, and the one gig card actually has more shaders in it than the 768 meg card does, I believe. So check into that. Uh, you'll also have to make sure that you're comfortable, Jed, with doing the hacking required to make Premiere see and access and utilize a GTX 460 card for transcoding purposes. It only natively supports Quadro cards and a few of the higher, highest end GTX. GTX cards like the 285 and I think maybe the 480 at this point. Um, but there are easy ways to get around that through some text file edits and that kind of stuff. So you could, you'll definitely be able to do that. Um, I don't know how much of an improvement you will see. You'll definitely see an improvement with that. Um, you know, the 8 gigs of memory seems pretty good. Uh, you can't really go with the processor any higher. So. Right. I'm at the point now where you might want to, if you spend a hundred bucks on a GTX 460, not a huge investment, but um, I wouldn't go anything higher than that because there's a chance that when you get the 460 and you change all the settings, the performance is very different than what you have now. And you might be reaching the uh, life point of your computer. Hmm. That's always a sad moment when you finally it is. say goodbye. I know. It's, I hate to say it. It's like, I'm sorry, you're out of upgrade options. Yeah. You know, for, you're out of upgrade options for H.264 transcoding. Right. right. If you were doing gaming, I'd say, oh, sure, get rid of that 4650, get a mm -hmm. GTX 470 or 570, <laughs> 560 Ti, and you'd be able to game much better. But for H.264 transcoding, um, right. it's still very CPU limited. Sorry, dude. <laughs> So now maybe it's almost save your pennies and and yeah. see what you can get your paws on in terms of a new motherboard and a new processor. Should you be considering the AMD Lano? <laughs> yep. Yeah. I mean, it's it, that even if you're if you're very specific on H.264 encoding, I probably still wouldn't recommend Lano because its x86 cores just aren't as strong as Sandy Bridge. I would still recommend Sandy Bridge for that. Um, but yeah, either one is not gonna. Either one's probably gonna be faster than what you have. But maybe that's not saying much. <laughs> and I think that's going to be about it for this edition of This Week in Computer Hardware. I'm Patrick Norton. I'm Ryan Schrout. We'll see you next week on Twitch. Twitch.